Revelation 7 is what our teaching text is today. I'm going to get a second to get to it. Okay, so Revelation 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to, who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's good to see everyone. Uh, just really quick, just so you guys are aware. I think I've said this in the past, but want to say this again. Um, Revelation was meant to be read out loud. And so as you, as you hear the word of the Lord just being shared, I just want to remind you that as as revelation is being read out loud, we're actually participating in uh, what even church tradition and even whenever it was first being written, it was being read out loud so that those who hear were able to actually hear some of the metaphors that were going on in their day and in their time. So as they read, there's a lot of connections that were being made based off of what uh, was revealed to John or what John saw. And so uh, I just love every single time that we get to read Revelation out loud like that, which is why uh, we do sometimes even whole chapters at a time, because 
That's just the way it was supposed to be read. And actually, Revelation was supposed to be read out loud at one time, right? And so from the beginning all the way to the end so that you can get the whole scope of Revelation. We're not going to do that uh, because that would take about, you know, anywhere between two to three hours, depending on the pace that you that you read. Um, but just wanted to make mention of that. So last week we started our series, uh, Remember with Humble Peacemaking. And uh, where we are essentially taking the rest of the spring and part of the summer to walk through the third ethic of the same name, remember with humble peacemaking. And the reason why we do that is because remembering helps us weave meaning throughout our abiding and our serving, stitching together a fuller uh, picture of God's calling on our lives. And here at Ecclesia City specifically, we've just used Romans 12 as an anchoring verse. And so you'll hear me say things like uh, stitching together a fuller picture of God's calling on our lives as Romans 12 people. Okay. And so. Uh, the reason why we remember is because every single day, I think you can relate to this, we start, uh, we start our day drifting towards selfish desires or our culture's narratives. We get distracted by things of the world, misplacing our identity and misplacing our purpose. And so what remembering does is that it's a powerful antidote to drifting. It reorients, in other words, our minds and hearts back to the love and the mission of the kingdom as we remember his nature, as we remember God's work, and as we remember his word. So remembering then secures our hearts in the knowledge of God's nature and what he has done for us. And so remembrance becomes then, or the act of remembering, becomes an art of constant reflection and of constant practice where we allow the reflection of his nature and work to influence our actions and draws back to his mission and a heart that remembers is a courageous heart and it's equipped to disarm to disarm one of the enemy's most powerful tactics which is not to convince us that there is no god but to distract us into forgetting about him. And so in this series, we'll be going through the rest of the book of Revelation, and we're going to see how Jesus defeats uh, evil, both in the seen and in the unseen. We will be challenged to remember that the way of the lamb is the way of peace that destroys evil, redeems the world, and calls us to reign with him. And his perfect justice then triumphs over evil. Therefore, following his way then has implications on the way that we live in society, relate with others, and deal with injustice. And so what are our hopes? Our hopes that as we go through the rest of the book of Revelation are that our eyes would be open to the the spiritual realities of injustice. Hear me say the spiritual realities of injustice, okay? That we would also come to see and know Jesus' righteousness that sets all things right. Mm -hmm. And then three, that we would stop, uh, or that that we would step rather, into our call as peacemakers and live in the way of peace. So this is threefold. One, that your awareness would be raised. Two, that you would see Jesus. And then in seeing Jesus, that three, you would be able to take the next step of obedience as you as you step into what he is calling you to do against injustice. Okay, 
So let's jump in. So today's reading, after you read Revelation 7, uh, today's reading is a parenthesis. So if you want to put Revelation 7 and put big parentheses in your notes around it, just to remind yourself of this, it's a parenthesis in the flow of what is happening at this point in Revelation. And this parenthesis gives greater insight into those that are revealed to be the ones to be to to maintain the word of God and the testimony of Jesus that are crying out under the altar in seal five of chapter six. Let me say that a little bit differently. In chapter six, seal five was revealed or revealed that there was those that were martyred crying out under the altar and crying out to God saying, how long, Lord? And so what Revelation 7 is going to do is that it's going to give us more detail as to how they got there and why they're crying out. Got it? And so remember when we said that Revelation is not about uh, what uh, the sequence of events, but it's about what John saw. But if you were to make it about sequence of events, Revelation 7 comes before Revelation 6. It's a little confusing, but I hope you're following me. Okay? All right. But before we jump into Revelation 7, I just want to remind you that the way of the Lamb is the way of sacrificial love. And sacrificial love we define as the way of sacrifice, the way of suffering, and the way of death. Heavy. Weighty. So... Jesus' death and resurrection has given us then the task to reign with him in his kingdom. And we said that to reign with him means that we, spoiler alert, have to do so remembering or doing so as humble peacemakers. In other words, that we would do so as Jesus lived and do so as living in the way of the lambs. And we said that the way of the lamb calls us to deal with injustice by standing with him, praying for his coming, and absorbing suffering. Remember, that's what we talked about last week. And this happens in the midst of hell breaking loose. Remember the four horsemen? That's hell breaking loose. So I believe that we do not need to open our eyes to physical uh, or, or our physical eyes, rather, to the injustice that is happening around us. Because what we see, it's the, we see the homelessness under the bridges, uh, the prostitution that we see in certain areas of Dallas, the mental health crises or the economic disparities among various neighborhoods, or even the news reports that report on heinous crimes happening around the city all make us aware of this physical reality that exists, that there is injustice. Yet, one of our hopes is that our eyes would be open to the spiritual realities of injustice, where we see the four horsemen at work, and we identify those four horsemen as deception, rage and murder, famine of soul, and death. We see these things running rampant in our society, and we identify that any time the kingdom of God presses in on the world, Resistance and opposition resulting in misery and terror will ensue. And so now as we step into 
Revelation 7, I want to actually take a step back and I want to start with the question that Revelation 6 ends with in verse 17. Here's the question. You ready? For the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? Who can withstand it? Who can withstand the wrath of God? What we know already is that at the opening of the of seal six, that the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, what they did is that they hid in caves and they hid among the rocks of the mountains. And when God removes his hands off of creation and when creation rolls up on itself, those that are seemingly supposed to know what to do when that happens, those that we typically would put our trust in, they begin to call out to the mountains and the rocks and they begin to say, fall on us. Hide us from the face of the lamb and, and from his wrath. To translate, what they are saying is, we can't stand before the lamb. We can't stand before his wrath. And if we can't, who can? So what John is inviting us into is a deeper understanding of those who were slain that are under the altar in chapter 7. Let's go. First, it's worth noting that in verse 1, the four angels are standing at the four corners of the earth. In other words, they are standing in authority over the whole world. And what they are doing is that they're holding back or resisting the four winds of the earth. In other words, what they are holding back is the chaos that the four horsemen are about to bring over the earth. So the kingdom of heaven is resisting and holding back evil. And watch this. Evil is submitted to the kingdom of heaven. Let that picture, picture sink in. Not picture, picture. Let that picture sink in. The kingdom of heaven is holding back here the chaos and destruction that will ensue as the kingdom of evil presses against the kingdom of heaven. And why are they resisting the chaos that is about to come? It says uh, in verse Three, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And so why are they resisting the chaos? So that the servants of God, the ones that he purchased with his blood in Revelation 5.10 are sealed on their foreheads. And now, I don't want you to forget this picture that you're getting right now being sealed on the forehead because this is a theme that is going to be carried throughout Revelation. And just to be clear and to the point, the seal, even though Revelation later on would say it's a 777, it's not going to be a physical mark that is placed on your forehead. Instead, the seal is the seal of the Holy Spirit that scripture reveals. Later on, um, 
uh, the, it is known to be the name of God that is seared on you or sealed on you rather. And so the seal is the Holy Spirit that identifies God's people when they lay their life down in glad submission to him. When they, in other words, give their life to Jesus. Now, what I want to do here is just take a moment to pause and draw your attention to something. And that is to draw your attention to the goodness of God and his kingdom order. What you see here when the angels are resisting that chaos so that those who place their, uh, their trust in Jesus would be sealed. This is pure mercy. This is the grace of God. And this is the love that God lavishes on us. You see, his, as his creation, we didn't ask to be sealed. As a matter of fact, what we do is that we, we are even like the princes and the kings. We try to hide from God. I mean, go back to Genesis. This is our story. When we fall short, when we go against God's voice, when we go against his will, and when God shows up, we don't show up in humility and present ourselves naked and vulnerable before God. What we do is that we hide. We, we show up and we're naked, vulnerable, and ashamed, is what scripture would say. And even then, that's after we attempt to hide. Yet, remember why the lamb was slain. The lamb was slain to redeem his creation. He did it in his grace and mercy. And because uh, he is the lamb that purchased for God people from every tribe, language, nation, he seals those whom he loves with the Holy Spirit. And this is why we get the opportunity today to sing a song that says, and on and on and on it goes. It overwhelms and satisfies my soul. And I'll never, ever have to be afraid because this one thing remains. Your love never fails. It never gives up, never runs out on me. This is why he does it. And by sealing us, watch this. He doesn't promise safety. What he promises is security. As a matter of fact, if those who are sealed are found under the altar in seal five, we know that those were the ones that were martyred because of the word of God and the testimony they maintain. So I'm just going to go ahead and say here that the gospel isn't a promise of physical safety, but it is a promise of eternal security. We'll come back to that. So what we see in Revelation 7 is a picture of the past and what awaits us in the future. Let me explain. In chapter 7, John follows a similar pattern of what happened in chapter 1 and what happened in chapter 5. Track with me. In chapter 1 and in chapter 5, first John hears and then he sees. In chapter 1, he heard a loud voice like a trumpet, and then he turned to see that it was Jesus. In chapter 5, he heard an elder tell him that the lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed, and when he, and when he turned to see, it was a lamb that was slain. Okay? So chapter 7, 
he first hears the number of those uh, who were sealed and he hears where they are from. And who were those that were sealed? How many? 144,000. Now, before you go around the room and start counting one, two, three, four, five, and start getting all scared because you're wondering whether or not you're part of the 144,000, even though there's about three, million, three billion people on this earth, <laughs> stop. Remember that in Revelation, we're not to take any number literally or with mathematical realness. Why well, think, for example, the seven spirits of God or the lamb who had seven horns and seven eyes. These aren't literal. So when you see 144,000 in scripture, this is another way of saying that this is a really big number. But if you really want to break it down, it is essentially the 12 tribes of Israel times the 12 apostles or 12 squared times uh, a thousand or ten cubed. This means that it is a complete number where not one of those sealed is lost or unaccounted for, especially among the ethnic people of God. So this is a big number, a number that in the in the ancient world is a number that is unheard of because everything would be numbered down to its precise number. And 144,000 is another way of saying, how many times, Jesus, should I forgive my brother? S uh, seven times is what Peter said. And Jesus responds, no, 70 times seven. That was his way of saying forever and, and always. And so when I said that, uh, we're not, uh, not one of those sealed is lost or unaccounted for. What then John hears alongside these numbers is a genealogy. Genealogies are very important in scripture. They're not arbitrary or randomly inserted. They have meaning. And here, who does John start with? He doesn't start with Reuben, who is essentially the firstborn of Jacob's sons. Who does he start with? Judah, even though Judah wasn't the firstborn. And honestly, if you look throughout scripture, there's zero precedent in scripture where any genealogy starts with Judah. Instead, the ones sealed are led by the lion of the tribe of Judah. And something has happened in redemptive history that leads to the genealogy changing. So here's the question. What happened? What happened in, in, in redemptive history that causes the genealogy that John hears to change? What John is hearing is ethnic Israel has changed. The Messiah came. The lion conquered as a lamb. And what did he purchase? He purchased a complete number of people that encompass the ethnicity of those that John uh, is, is writing to. So it encompasses Jewish people. But watch this, Revelation 7, 9. He says, after this, I looked. So he hears, and now he looks. And when he looks, he's expecting ethnic Israel. But what he sees 
is before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every what? Didn't start with tribe. It started with nation now. Nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and standing before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and, and were holding palm branches in their hands. So now this list then represents and contains all of God's people. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, man and woman, and calls all who are purchased and sealed by the Holy Spirit, calls them now a kingdom and priest to serve God. And not only does the 144,000 then number uh, mean complete, but this list is also a list of a census that is being taken. Don't miss this. A census in scripture is usually taken to number the able-bodied who are going into battle. So this list then also represents the church militant who is to enter into the fray to resist and push back darkness, the four horsemen, if you will, to resist and push back deception, to resist and push back rage and murder, to resist and push back famine of soul, to resist and push back death. That is who he's talking about here. And then there's also something that is simultaneously happening here in this chapter. It's a picture, like I said, of the past and of the future. The past is, or present even, is represented by those who are sealed. Those who are kept in security. This is you and me here and now. This is also everyone who came before us. And what does scripture promise us, those who are sealed in him? Romans 8. We're going to go outside of Revelation for a little bit. Romans 8, 35 through 39. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Shall any of these hardships that we experience, the four horsemen, if you will, will should those separate us from the love of God? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This is not safety. This is not safe. But Paul says, no, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, he says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, uh, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we can look at our lives today and know that in spite of the great tribulation, or the word here is the great crushing pressure that we face, our faith and salvation are secured by the lamb that was slain. We are secured to resist darkness and fight against injustice. And if this is a picture of the past and the present, and we just talked about the past, what is the picture of our future? John shows us a picture of our future and what now he sees. Let's read verse 9 again. He says, After this I looked, 
and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, nation, from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. In seal five, those under the altar were also wearing white robes and they were crying out to God, how long, Lord? And here they're wearing white robes and wearing palm branches, waving palm branches. And they're saying salvation belongs to our God. You know what they're saying? Hosanna. Yeah. Belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Palm branches are associated then with military victory. And how did they persevere? Anybody remember? By the word of God and the testimony that they maintained. The key word here is maintained. To persevere. And how did they get the white robes? The elder said to John in verse 14 of chapter 7, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In other words, they persevered, they remained faithful by being like and emulating the Lamb. They gave up their life to resist and push back the kingdom of darkness. And so to end, I want to come back to the question at the end of Revelation chapter 6. Let me read it again. Verse 17. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Now, I believe that revelation is clear. That we're not promised to be spared or safe from the great tribulation. Now, there's a lot of church backgrounds in here. And there's a particular church background that would say, and that there's a belief that would say that we're going to be spared from the great tribulation at the rapture of the church. And this is not that message. We're not going to get into those details here. But one thing that I do think is clear about Revelation, and you'll see as we go through, is that God doesn't promise us safety. But what he promises is security. Because great tribulation is actually the same word that John uses for one of the churches. Remember when we talked about the crushing pressure that they were experiencing in their, uh, in, in their city? This is now the great crushing pressure that is, that is coming in close. But we're promised something better. Look at verse 9. If this is the question... Verse 9 actually tells us where the great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language are standing. Where are they standing? Before the throne and before the, and before the Lamb. Verse 16 of chapter 6 said they called to the mountains and they rock fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb 
And here's God's people sealed from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue standing before his throne, before the throne of God and before the Lamb. So John is saying here that those who have been sealed, those who have persevered, those who are emulating the Lamb, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus are able to stand before the throne and before the Lamb. They are the ones who can withstand it. Those are the ones that God will shelter in his presence. They will never hunger or thirst. If you look at the the, the song later on, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not be down on them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne, the lamb will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What is he promising there at the end of days? The something better? It's the safety that we've all been looking for. He keeps us secure to make us safe later. And so then, here's a question though that I want to apply to our gathering here today I mean I don't know about you but my heart is on fire and has been on fire as I've been thinking about this all week long and thinking about you (coughs) because here's the question that just hit me all of a sudden what will we be doing in front of the throne and before the lamb if you have your bible in front of you just look at that chapter Just don't even read it. Just look at it. Does anybody remember what the indentations in your Bible mean whenever the words are phrased in that way? Anybody? What is happening here? Singing. Do you see the indentations in your Bible? Why all of a sudden in your Bible it goes from paragraph form to all of a sudden it's like neatly put together? Anytime you see that in your Bible, it's either a poem or it's a song. Got it? And so what is happening here is that we are a people who sing in the midst of great tribulation. We will sing when we get there. But think about this. You may have experienced hell this week. But when we gather together on Sunday, this isn't, gathering together isn't just a hobby. And if it is, go find another one. Truly, like I want you to go find another one. There are better things that you can do with your time if this is a hobby. But when we gather together, what do we do? We sing and we worship. And, and when you sing and worship, wherever you may be, whether it's in your car, in your home, in your closet, in the shower, walking around the neighborhood, you, what you are doing is that you're joint. Listen, you're joining in to the perpetual worship service that is happening in the heavens. You're entering into the song alongside 
those who have gone before us. You're joining in with the elders. You're joining in with the living creatures and the angels who are all around the throne of God and before the Lamb singing. And so every Sunday when I come in and I worship God alongside you, I picture myself going through the open door of heaven that John talks about and that we said is so near. And I we get the opportunity to join in with what is happening around the throne. We live in this time. We live in like, like we're time bound, if you will. But every Sunday at 4.15, we get the opportunity to enter into the throne room of God. Every day that you turn on a worship song or you're just humming a tune as, or, or whatever it is, whatever your practice is every single week, you're entering into the throne room of God alongside the elders and the four living creatures and the countless of angels and the countless of people that have gone before you and you're joining in around the throne. So this time here, is not time wasted. Now watch this. What are we to sing? The song that is supposed to be sung, John shows us, but before we read this, this is the exact language that the Roman Empire would sing whenever the emperor would walk into the room. And John here is taking this song and he's attributing it to the emperor of all of creation. And he's saying, praise, glory, uh, and wisdom, and thanks, and honor, and power, and strength. They would say, the Roman Empire would say, would be to our emperor forever and ever. But John says, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. No wonder. John was put on to prison. And no wonder we experience all hell breaking loose against the kingdom of God. Our worship is in direct opposition to what the kingdom of darkness desires. The kingdom of darkness desires deception, rage and murder, famine of soul and death. And yet what we sing is praise, glory, and wisdom, and thanks, and honor, and power, and strength be to our God forever and ever. I mean, just look at the atrocities that have happened throughout the earth. When you, when you read about churches suffering persecution in other countries, what are they doing? They sing. I mean, you can even go back to a, a, a terrible period of time here in the United States of America, and that is when slavery was, was running rampant, especially here in the South. And what do we get from those times? What do we know was actually true about those that were slaves? They sang. When I think about, uh, like, just... I'm Latino and growing up in Latino culture, like every single Sunday we would sing about the God who would cut off the head of Balaam. Like, like when you listen to songs and if you could speak the language, you, you hear these songs that are cutting off the heads of Balaam, that like idols are falling, chains are breaking because what we're singing to is, is the freedom and the liberty that is found in Jesus in spite of yeah. 
And so in spite of, we are a people who sings. We are a people who are sealed and we are a people who sings. Because the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of life. It's a joy. It's a kingdom of joy. It's a kingdom of singing. And it's a kingdom that worships the lamb that was slain. And he purchased for himself a kingdom and priest to serve him and reign with him. Now, this is going to be incredibly important next week. Or, yeah, next week. Because next week, we're actually going to get into the judgment of God. And you're going to be in that judgment, and you're going to be saying, this is awful. This is terrible. That's why a lot of people don't like to teach on Revelation, because they get to that point, they're like, God can't be like that. But you must remember Revelation 7. You must remember that you are sealed and therefore secure. And who can withstand? Those that have been sealed and secured in God. Those who have given their life in God's mission. It's not a promise of safety. It's not a promise of ease. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it is a promise of security. So for our ministry time, three questions. Or two questions. Do you doubt that you are sealed? I mean, all of us go through that at some point. Am I part of the 144,000? If so, there's an invitation here that Jesus would say, come all to me who are weary and heavy laden. It's the same language. I will give you rest. Come to me all the thirsty, he would also say, and I will satisfy you. I am the bread of life. Anyone that comes to me will hunger no more. So if so, surrender to Jesus. Are you weary of the hardship, suffering, and pain that you're experiencing? It's okay to be weary. The reason why I say that is because... Isaiah would say that they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. So you're going to get weary, but God promises you to, he promises you that he will renew you. And then lastly, sing. Sing. We sang today, his love never fails. Sing. I started doing this thing and I, I didn't, it just hit me, so I did forgive me, Lauren. But I started doing this thing where, like, sometimes I walk into the room, and when I see Lauren, I just start singing a song to her, like, about her to her. Like, it, it's cheesy sometimes. But it's because what I'm, what I'm trying to do in my own heart is just continually have my eyes and my affection directed towards her. And that's what singing does. It turns your eyes and your affection to the one that you are singing yeah, to. Yeah, Listen to every song that you that, that is ever produced. Any song, turn it on. It's singing to something that their eyes and their affection are That's towards. Right, yeah. That's right. 
And so sing because his love never fails.